Hey, what's going on? My name's Lee Hopkins. My pronouns are he, him, his, and you're listening to the Patterns of Possibility podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to helping you replace harmful patterns with new possibilities. In this week's interview, we have a self-awareness coach, Alex Noval of Supernova Coaching. He gets a little deep with his story. So again, thank you, Alex, for sharing your story, for opening up for us. With that said, I'd like to add that there is a trigger warning of sexual violence, brief mention of sexual violence. So just be advised of that. If this isn't for you, then skip this episode. I'll see you in the next one. All right. Are you ready? Let's go. Hey, what's going on? My name's Lee Hopkins. My pronouns are he, him, his. And I'm here for the Patterns of Possibility podcast. I have Alex here today. He's a coach. And um, that's all the introduction that I'm going to give. I'm going to let him tell his story and share who he is and what he does. So Alex, can you say hi to everyone? Tell us about yourself. Absolutely. Hi. Hi, Lee, and hi, everyone. Um, my name is Alexander Noval. Um, I am a self-awareness and mental health coach um, and blogger as well. I've, I'm starting out with blogging and um, yeah, I also as well, I work as an after-school program coordinator for Do What You Love, which is part of um, a non-for-profit organization out here in Vancouver. And yeah, I, um, I work as a coach part-time as well and a blogger um, outside of that. And, um, you said just a second, you said you're a coach, mental health, well, mental wellness coach. Mm -hmm. And you said you work as a coach part-time as well. So automatically I thought, well, those are two different things. Are they the same or? Uh, no, they're two different things. Okay. Um, yeah, no, I'm, uh, like I says, I, I work, um, pre COVID, I was working as an after-school program coordinator as well. And yeah, and then I started to get into coaching and blogging just recently during COVID. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, it, I thought maybe you were like a, a school coach or like something like that with oh, working for, with kids. Forgive me. Well, I do work with kids, yes, and I do coach kids um, to our programs. So, however, like I says, it's uh, we're not working as I'm not working as that right now. So. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, well, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um. So it, it just seems like you have a desire to help people be better. Absolutely. And stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As a coach, you know, that's mm-hmm. one of those things that you kind of fall into. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's exactly what a coach does. You know, they, they're that objective person that will help you see the things that you're not seeing mm-hmm. so that you can improve on them. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm just curious then. So how did you get into coaching? Well, uh, I mean, basically what happened was um, when I first, we'll say, embarked on my spiritual journey, it all started with that because of some very tragic loss that I went through and where I just basically hit rock bottom um, because I was in this victim mindset. Uh, I had moved out here to Vancouver, Canada, um, disconnected from everything that I knew. Where and were you where where were you before that? I was in Calgary, Alberta, which is Okay. Um, yeah, it's a neighboring province out here in Canada, so um basically like states, like how it works out here in Canada is like provinces are like states. So I just basically went to a different province to disconnect and restart my life from the mm-hmm. from the rock bottom that I had hit and um you know, I was basically just going with the flow, working out here until my friend, he gave me an opportunity to work as a hip hop instructor and hip hop, uh, program coordinator for his, for his hip hop and, uh, for his hip hop dancing program. And when I was actually an instructor and a coordinator, um, we would help kids with their confidence. Right. Um, so, Mm -hmm. so what we do is kids, you know, 
we have, um, you know, seven to 10 kids usually, and they're grade two to five on, on average. And we teach them hip hop, we get them to go up on stage, things like that. And me and my friend, we help them coach them through confidence, through their confidence to help them come up onto stage to bring out that, that dancing, you know, essence out of all of them. Right. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that was, that was honestly inadvertent. My friend was just like, Hey, do you want to come work, um, for my program? I was like, okay, sure. I'll give it a, sh- give it a shot. I never expected to ever work with kids, nor did I ever expect that I would coach kids or even coach to begin with. And mm-hmm. when, um, one particular event where this young lady, she was probably like five years old, very shy, didn't have didn't have any care about going to the class or anything like that or conversing with anybody. And her father was there every day for those eight weeks of the eight week program every day, um, trying to get her to open up. And what had happened was I had worked with her. I had just mentored her. I just listened to her hear all this. And then I eventually got her up on stage to perform and engage with all the kids. And her father personally thanked me for helping her with that and yeah so that's what started my um coaching journey that's what started my um that's what started my mm-hmm. passion with working with kids so oh that's interesting you know mm-hmm. it just kind of fell into your lap mm-hmm. so i'm curious as a coach were you were you like actually helping the kids like dance or was it just kind of building up their confidence saying hey you can do it you can do it you can do it it was to build up their confidence because at that age, grade two to five, they're not really practicing the routines that we teach. And I'm not, <laughs> I, no, like they're insane. However, it's funny though. They're awesome. I love kids, right? They're, they're a little insane though. Um, but you know, you tell them something and like, of course they're going to copy some moves, but then they go back to their craziness, which is all good. Right. However, the main prerogative, cause especially me, I'm not much of a hip hop, like, like a dancer but i can dance um mm-hmm. my main prerogative was always to get them to go up on stage because i told them i'm like you can do whatever you want up there it doesn't matter you know just as long as it's respectful you can go up there and just let loose just be free you know and that's what we that's what yeah. we foster is just that there's no right or wrong answer it's just whatever feels natural for you and we want to bring oh, out definitely yeah, and we want to bring yeah. out that natural essence for them just to just not care, you know. And, like, even with that young girl um, that I helped that one day, like, after her father personally thanked me, I told myself, I'm like, you know what? I could die tomorrow and I'm fine just because I know yeah. I had that impact on her to actually just become mm-hmm. confident. And it was just it was just about showing her the door for her to walk yeah. through it. So. Absolutely. Yeah, the kids, they – they are, we're, we're, as we're kids, we're naturally inclined to just do what feels good to us mm-hmm. until the world and the people around us condition us not to do those things. Mm-hmm. But as children, we don't know any better. We just want to do and be happy and feel. Mm-hmm. And so instead of telling her that she should not do anything or trying to instruct them in a way that they have to conform, you're just like, all right, here's some moves. You can do them if you want. Mm-hmm. But we just want to make sure that you're you're happy and you know that you're good as you are mm-hmm. and go out there and show it. Exactly, yeah. I, I was just basically, and like, even not even just showing her moves, I just asked her, I'm like, okay, well, what's your favorite music? Like, what makes you feel, what makes you, what music do you love listening to at home? Like, you know, things like this. And then she just kind of started telling me things. I'm like, okay, let's work with that. And I just, I listened to her. You know, because she had mm-hmm. her dad was saying about how she loves dancing at home. And I'm like, oh, OK, so I just I told myself, I'm like, OK, she loves dancing. She's just not doing it here. So what can I do to bridge that gap? And I figured mm-hmm. it out. Right. So, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Genuine, sustained interest in mm-hmm. us at anyone is what really we really, really want. Mm-hmm. So I definitely get that vibe that you'd be really proud and very satisfied that that impact you had on them because, you know, at the formative years, that's going to stick with her forever. And yeah. And that kind of experience. Ab- mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's what I said. I said, I could die tomorrow. I'm good. Cause I did change the world. I changed her world. Right. And that's enough for me. That's my fulfillment. So yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But 
is it enough? Because you're still coaching. <laughs> of course, of course. We'll say that I have that, like, I know, you're right, you're right. I would love to do more, of I'm, course. <laughs> I'm teasing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I understand. <laughs> so, But of course, I mean, with that good feeling and that good vibe, of course, you'd mm-hmm. want to continue to put that stuff out there. I mean, that's why I do it. So exactly. we're on the same page. We're Abs- on the same page. Exactly. We're on the same page. Absolutely. So... <laughs> So then, um, where did where did you go from there after the dancing and the coaching? So is this right up until COVID hit, or did something else change? It was it was up until COVID hit. You know, um, we'll say that from there, I was really in building upon this new opportunity because I had never thought I would, for one thing, be in. I never thought I would be teaching children at all. You know, and un- until mm-hmm. like even when I started teaching kids, I'm like, wow, like. The level of humility that it gave me because I would witness these little human beings that just didn't know any better. And I'm just like, I even told myself, I can't get mad at you. You don't know any better. Like, you know, and it helped me just find that 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 balance in life. And I'm just like, and you know, and I told myself, I'm like, I've met worse adults than any of these children. I'm like, I can't get mad at them at all. And it just helped me find myself and helped me to just connect back with myself and just really learn how to regulate and self-manage. So from there, it just went on to, you know, I was building myself up. I went and then, yes, of course, COVID hit. And then I took some online courses. Um, I had been studying neurolinguistic programming for years, though, even prior to this, like on my own terms, reading books. Can you tell us what uh, NLP is? So neuro-linguistic programming is a body of ideas um, still relatively new within applied psychology, which talks about how the mind is coded through words, both externally and internally. And I can say with wholeheartedly um, that it has shaped and changed my life for the better. Um, It has helped me understand my experiences. It has helped me to understand myself, how I speak to myself. And that was just the beginning of it. Um, and yeah, from there, I, uh, I took neurolinguistic programming. I took hypnotherapy. I also finished cognitive behavioral therapy and I am in the works of, uh, mindfulness as well as a life coaching afterwards. So, yeah. Oh, so a lot of different classes. So then you mm-hmm. would say, I would basically, you looked at the children and you thought, well, look at their innocence and look how amazing they are. Mm-hmm. And you were going to control your emotions. Cause it sounds like mm-hmm. you said that you want, you learned to self-regulate because you were, you didn't want to get mad at them because well, you know. Yeah. Well, and it's not even like, I didn't want to get mad. Um, it was more like the, the vibrational frequency. Cause even my friend, how he deals with and works with kids, he's just himself. He's just got this very, neutral yet just resonating frequency with the kids just this vibe right and that's what he told me he told me from the get-go is just like it's about your vibe you can't have any expectations with these kids especially because we're not the teachers nor are we the parents so we have to be that conduit for them like that older brother type of type of energy and so when he told me that and when i learned how to work with kids i went to my troubles and tribulations um some days, you know, obviously that didn't go very well. I started to learn how to just balance myself and I found that humility and I'm just like, yeah, it just has to come from the inside out. You know, obviously I'm not going to get to every single kid. However, I can still set that vibe where it's just like, yo, like I'm with you here and I'm going to show you that you are confident and that you are wor- you are more than what your head tells you, especially when you go up on stage. So. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, you said trials and tribulations and, I imagine that kids say the darndest things, you know, so. <laughs> well, you know, they do. And it's like, I honestly respect it. Why is because I've been lied to my whole life just by people that I cared about or people that I were in my life, things like this. And so when I hear a kid tell me your head looks like an egg, I'm like, all right, cool. Maybe with, you know, is hard boiled or soft boiled, you know, and then they're yeah. just like soft boiled. Or, you know, it's, and I just, yeah. I go with it, you know? And it's like, it's so cute because it's like, again, that kind of honesty, it's so refreshing. I'm not even going to yeah. lie, you know? And because, you know, kids, like I like I said, they just do what feels normal and natural to them. And they're like, well, that's an observation. That's mm-hmm. an observation to them. It's not like they are doing it to insult you because they know that it's going to insult you. I don't know if kids have that kind of cognitive uh, no. ability just yet. They're just looking at the world and they're like, oh, 
well, that's interesting. I'm going to say it out loud because I also don't have a filter. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> yeah, so that's really, I mean, that's one of the really great key things to working with kids. And, mm-hmm. you know, also, you know, it sounds like you took that knowledge that you had working with them and you would apply it to adults that you would coach with because mm-hmm. adults have more cognitive ability to, you know, understand what they're doing and what they're saying. But sometimes they, they kind of miss the impact that they're having on people. So if someone said that something like that to you, you could just like, oh, re- regulate because you know that, you know, recognize the situation, mm-hmm. don't know what's going on with them, but maybe you'll share some information on how you felt with them. So is that something that you do within your coaching? Is that kind of uh, something that you might have picked up? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, I'd have. And like, you know, when I look at, like I said, so working with kids, because like you were saying, they don't have that cognition like we do at that age. They're self-aware of their environment and themselves. However, they just don't have those conditions yet as to what they can say or social etiquette, any of these things. Right. Um, So when I started working with adults and I you know, um, my first few clients that I actually ever started coaching, I started to see a lot more easier about what was their conditions. You know, it was a lot more easier for me to see where they could use some work. You know, I'm not trying to judge anybody. I'm not saying that, you know, my clients were needed fixing. They just needed some guidance in certain aspects that they weren't aware of. Um, you know, yes. Yeah. So when you say condition, when you say condition, do you mean like the things that they learned or when they grew when they're growing up? Yeah, things that they learned, things that they could, like I says, you know, things that they could be self-aware of for themselves to better themselves. Because obviously, there's going to be certain things that people will ascribe to, and if it works for them, it works for them for sure. However, if they mm-hmm. come to me, like one of my clients comes to me to help build her EQ, and I'm showing her the game about how. You know, because she's always in this high IQ kind of like mentality. So it helped me to discern more as to where she needs to become more aware of herself. So mm-hmm. when you say become more aware of herself in that, um, I'm trying to follow with you, but I'm not mm-hmm. quite with you. So can you break okay. it down to me? Because I'm yeah, like, absolutely. Well, Absolutely. So when I talk about like EQ, emotional quotient, I'm trying to build her perception and awareness of how she could use EQ and understand human emotion um, because she's had some issues in the past. And especially when I talk to certain people as well, they don't pick up on things as easily as others, they say, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. especially when it comes to communicating with other people. Right. So what I'm trying to to show a lot of my clients is being aware of themselves and their own, um, not even just conditions, but their triggers, uh, you know, especially within the body, things like that, and aware of their emotions, how they respond in situations, especially. Mm -hmm. And I always tell people like, you know, who I speak to, if not even just my clients, but like people who like, you know, come to me and just like we chat and stuff, always tell them like it comes from the inside out. If you become more aware of your own emotions and your own triggers, you start to see it in other people. Instead of trying to see it in other people, look for it within yourself. Because when you can look within it, you look for it within yourself, you will notice it in the world and you'll start to see people in that sense. And even for me, right, this is a self this is an everyday practice for me. I am always aware of how I respond, how uh, people respond to me as well. Not not so much caring about what they think, however, how they interpreted my words. Everything like this, I'm I'm always trying to be mindful and practice mindfulness of everything that goes on around me and how I respond to it in order for me to better understand other people as well. So then I am seeking to understand others by understanding and being completely honest and aware of myself. Yeah. I mean, honesty is really important in that. So, I mean, I'm really a big fan of the things that you say. This is all the stuff I subscribe to. Mm-hmm. That's probably why we, we vibe so easily. Mm-hmm. It's because I'm really a big fan of uh, checking your own emotions and your regulation mm-hmm. so that you can understand how you're, you will see that in other people. And, mm-hmm. and not only that, but... If you are having this situation where you are really, um, you have an intense emotional reaction and you're looking for something in someone else, you're going to be, you're not going to be able to be objective because you're, 
intensely emotional and whatever they do is going to exacerbate that emotion in you. Mm-hmm. So it's really beneficial to notice that what's happening in you mm-hmm. is this is what you're doing. How are you really interpreting this? Can you take the space to breathe and understand their point of view? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that is really awesome. And it sounds like um, I never, I hadn't put these together. Maybe it sounds like something that NLP does because we're talking about the uh, neuro linguistic programming where we're speaking and the, the connection between our words and how you feel. Can you talk a little more about that and how that's played a role and how it's changed your life? Because we kind of derailed from that. No problem. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, like when I first heard about neurolinguistic programming, which was probably 2013, I had gone through a very severe breakup. And of course, you know, when we go through breakups and things like that, it really pushes ourselves to look into different directions. And I it was interesting because I, I realized through my breakup, I was a horrible communicator. I couldn't, I wasn't communicating my feelings well. Um, I hadn't come to terms with my past instances yet. However, that's when I started to learn how to communicate better because I was a very emotionally driven person and I was very self-consumed. I was very self-immersed. I wasn't, I wasn't proactive in understanding the world yet I wanted the world to understand me. So it was a very bad imbalance. So with neuro-linguistic programming, it really helped me find um, that balance of being able to communicate with the outside world and understand the words that affect me, both internally and externally, and become more aware of my experience as a human being in this world to understand it. And it's not like there was some kind of plateau when I learned about it where it was like, okay, I'm fully self-aware I understand it completely it was just an ongoing kind of snowball effect of understanding like yeah this is how you have to speak to people this is you know there's a difference between influence and manipulation or you know if you say it like this it sounds like it's too forced if you talk about it in this kind of way you kind of influence the people more things like that and not even just other people including yourself especially with self-dialogue you know and about how what my intentions are, especially when communicating with other people, is not what they interpret. Um, and especially with what I tell myself every day and how I respond to certain situations has that effect on me because of, you know, circumstances that have happened to me or how my belief system, especially my belief system, um, is coded and structured. And yeah, it was just that whole after, you know, years and years and years of learning about language and communication, I just started to slowly blossom and open up about, you know, toxic behaviors, my past instances, my past experiences, things like this. And it just helped me connect back to my essence and let go of things that really had no use for me in my life, which included fears, um, traumas, uh, you know, insecurities, things like this. Okay. Yeah. So, um, as far as you work, like working through this process and getting the information, I hear you saying that it was a, a, a slow process. This is what I'm hearing a slow, um, methodical process. That's the word I'm searching for my, in my vocabulary. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> methodical process. So it was nothing like the matrix, nothing just really clicked for you and opened up like, yeah. All of a sudden, you know everything, right? It's not going to be that way, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm curious then. So when did you realize like some of these behaviors? Because you said you were, you. what does it look like to be self-consumed? You said that you were self-consumed. Like what mm-hmm. was that thing that you recognized that you're like, oh, I'm doing this and not going to do it again, or it doesn't yield the benefit I want? Mm-hmm. It was um, how I was responding and how I was reactive to the outside world instead of proactive. And even when I became aware of that and I started to notice it, it wasn't like, oh, Alex, you have to be proactive. It was just like, why I kept asking myself, like, why am I responding this way? Why am I, mm-hmm. why am I even re- reacting to begin with? Why does it affect me? Why, what's, what is it about this situation, this trigger that is really causing me to just like respond, be defensive. I have to say something. And then all of a sudden I'm thinking about what these people are thinking about me and things like this. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. 
and yeah, that was really the main precursor was just my reactivity to the world. Um, and I guess you could say when I really started to actually completely open up was on, was when I detached from my past life, which I realized I needed to do. Um, because even during those years when I was still studying neurolinguistic programming, I went through some certain things that still didn't completely change me, but it was a buildup. I can say that it was a buildup of leading me down a path to completely change myself. Um, you know, my mother passed away in 2014. Um, I had lived in Philippines for a few years. Um, there was a lot of drama that transpired over there. I had to come back here. Um, I had, I had been in involved in a lot of like crime and like gang activity, um, for a lot of my life and eventually kind of hit that point, you know, even after my friends were dying and all these things, um, got to the point where I eventually had gotten some charges against me, which were eventually dropped, thankfully, because I decided mm -hmm. once those charges happened and i that was the, my rock bottom was just once those charges had happened as well as I was robbed for everything that I had, um, which included my cat which was, you know, something that it's I had. Cat. Yeah. Um, what? Oh, yeah. It what? was. Yeah. And it's like, you know, and, you know, I tell myself now, though, because karma came back to the individual who had, you know, that had it, that it happened to him. He was like my friend for so long, however. And I told myself, I'm like, you know, you know what? Like he was suffering from his own demons. Because um, that needed, I realistically, that kind of needed to happen for me to just be like, yo, like, <laughs> do something different bro and then that's what happened i you know spent a few months in just this really dark place because i had I, I had lost everything you know um thankfully i had good friends to just maintain and believe in me and then i'm like yo i'll be back and i just moved out to a different city and that was the beginning of my new life started looking in you know um spirituality mindfulness things like this so it was just a it was just a buildup of experiences and I was just really starting to see, starting to uncover where my truth was, where like my issues really resonated because it wasn't with the outside world at all. Even though I thought that the answers were going to come from the outside world, I thought mm -hmm. that if I had, if I could do this, if I, if I found the right woman or right person that they would fix me and I'm just like, no, nobody's going to save you except you, bro. And that's when, yeah. that's what I realized once I, disconnected from the world that I had once known, my conditioned world, uh, I realized I'm like, yo, like there's so much more to you than, than you thought, you know, there's so much more to life than what you know. You could do this if you want. Never thought I could teach kids and boom, I did it. And I'm like, wow, it's awesome. It was the greatest thing that I ever did. So. Yeah, definitely, yeah. man. That's quite yeah. a story. I mean, it sounds like, you know, there's a pattern, there was a pattern of behavior that you were in course and you were just like ah there was there had to be something to change it looked like something drastic happened and usually that's really what happens to make the change because if you can get away with it you can get away with anything that you're doing it works for you and it continues to work and the consequences are really not much of anything then you may continue to do those things mm -hmm. but you said you had something happen that was really large mm -hmm. changed the spun you around changed your world and you know, another person could have looked at that and said, well, this is just this is just part of the game. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to go back and do it. This consequence isn't big enough for me. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go back into it. Mm -hmm. But I think now I'm going to stretch it out here and just throw my own thoughts about this. Mm -hmm. But I think when people make those kind of changes, they look at it and they're more brave than the other people. The people that go and say, this consequence isn't big enough for me. I'm going to go back to the life that I've had. Because when you make that change, you said you stepped out of your world, your conditioned world, everything that you've known before, you left that behind to go see what else is out there. Because mm -hmm. you're like, I know I don't want this. I don't know what else is out there, but I know I don't want this. And I think that is just tremendously brave. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. So, And yeah, it's... It's true. It's, it is true, right? Like you're right. Like when you talk about how some people, it's like, it's not this consequence, this consequence isn't big enough, you know? And I mean, as well too, on like, we'll, we'll say from my perspective, how I see it is a lot of these people that I was involved with, I would say 99% of them just had 
this victim mindset, despite that they had put on this like showboat that they're all masculine and that they're all gangster and all this stuff. But like deep down inside, there's like to all of them, there was always just one situation that affected them that created that mentality that I don't care about the harm that I put out into the world because that's going to fix my internal issue, which it never did. Because it was just for them, a lot of them, like, thankfully, I never went to jail. However, a lot of these people that I was associated with in and out of jail, doing all these drugs, just never really got, you know, or they were just, they were driven by greed and money and they just didn't care about, you know, human or society at all. And I realized from an observation, from afar, once I detached from it, they all had a victim mindset. They just didn't want to come to terms with it, you know, and that's just my opinion, so. Well, that sounds about right to me. I mean, it it definitely sounds like it's something that is what people do if they they feel victimized. They feel like, well, the world has hurt me so much. Why do I care? No one cares about me. But um, that's that external external validation or that external um, change that people are hoping to see. Like, if I can change my environment in some way, I'll feel fulfilled. But all that stuff comes from within. Like you're saying, you made that opportunity for yourself to like say, well, this, nothing around is, whatever I do outside isn't working. I have to look within. So a little bit about the timeline. I'm curious. So we talked about that happening in your relationships as well. So you, and your romantic relationships, you had a breakup. And then Mm -hmm. there's an experience where you had to, you decided that you were going to leave um, your life behind. So Mm -hmm. I wonder if the experience with leaving your whole past behind was before the relationship. No, it wasn't. It was afterwards. Um, however, the relationship parts, when I like started to notice that, um, that actually had to, deb- to be built up. Like I said, so my one romantic relationship, which ended in 2013, um, she cheated on me uh, because I wasn't emotionally, I wasn't emotionally there for her. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and I was only consumed by how I perceived love, you know, because she gave me what, what I wanted for love, but I wasn't reciprocating. Uh, so I understand Mm -hmm. my part. I'm not, I am not excusing what she did, however. And she even says it herself when we had talked like a long time ago, she's just like, I don't know why I did that to you. However, I told her, I'm like, no, I understand. Cause I wasn't there for you emotionally. She had a lot of things that she needed help, not I don't want to say help, but she need she has a lot of things that I had I as a boyfriend should have I should have been aware of and I should have accommodated, you know, I should have been that compliment to her like she was to me, which I failed to do. Um however that still didn't really teach me completely. I started to see my friendships were withering, the friendships that I had were just all people just wanted to make money or do drugs and all this kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. my family relationships was going down down the drain, things like this. And um, it was when I disconnected was when I started to realize how I actually was for people. And I was just this very toxic person that was just not providing any value into their lives. And I had to start to realize, I'm like, okay, so what is it about yourself that you need to do? So then you are bringing value into people's lives. You You aren't cycling your toxicity into the world where people don't even want to be around you, which is, which was the actual outcome. You know, people just didn't want to be around me and I could tell. So, wow. Yeah. And that just ruined the, the, the impact or not the impact, but the thing that you really wanted, it seems like you want to be connected. We're all, we all want to be connected. First of all, that's the thing we all want, but I got to say that it's really amazing that you will go and you will say, this is my, this is my role. This is what I'm doing. And I acknowledge it because you empower yourself with that. Even if you don't like what you see, now that gives you all of the ability to change it. And it sounds like that's exactly what you did. Mm-hmm. You're just like, well, looks like I'm not a good boyfriend. I understand why you cheated on me. I don't like that you cheated on me, but I understand it. I'm not going to hold that against you. I understand how humans work. I understand what I did. Mm-hmm. And that's just really amazing that you've done that. Thank you. I appreciate that. And that was like the start. That was honestly, that was the beginning of my self-awareness. Cause I'm like, well, yo, like, you know, you got to be self-aware of yourself. So then you are being that person, that perfect experience and that perfect person. Well, sorry, I don't want to say perfect. You are that person that people want to be around as opposed to that people that they want to avoid, which I was that person that people wanted to avoid at all costs because of my toxicity. <laughs> so. 
Yeah, that makes me think like, whoa, you, you sound like you're a really, really toxic person. I kind of want to dig into some of those things, mm-hmm. but I'm going to leave it there if you're not interested in. No, we could. I mean, you know, we'll let the conversation flow again, right? And then whatever hap- like whatever unfolds, we'll, I'll definitely, you know, I could elaborate more. So Unfolds? And I was just going to ask you directly. What are the uh, toxic things that you've noticed that just kind of push people away? Oh, it was completely that victim mindset. It was that the world owed me and that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it was, and that was the basics of it. Like, I'll even get into more details about it. Like, it was that the world owed me because of that situation that had happened to me when I was a child, the molestation mm-hmm. um, that was at the hands of my best friend, who was the only male figure. And this is how deep it gets is like, he was the only male figure that I had and that I respected and I trusted at that time in grade six when it happened because um, I only had a mother who was emotionally unavailable and emotionally unstable. Um, And my brother and I didn't get along. My uncles, they all teased me, you know, things like this. So I only had this one general, well, this one friend of mine who I trusted and then did that to me. And after that situation, like, you know, it just really completely shifted my whole perception on everything. And I noticed that during my junior high years, I was just slowly starting to, that situation was still slowly affecting me. And it just started to bring out a different type of a person that I was before when I was, before it happened, you know, because I've always remembered that time that it happened. That was the dark time. Before that, I remember I was a kid and I was just like, oh yeah, like life, things like this, despite even before that situation that happened to me with the molestation, I had a, another situation because um, my mom, she was a sex worker at one point when I was young. This was before the molestation. Um, she had left me in the car uh, when she had a client or with her client. Um, and I remember that one situation was, it, uh, the memory was so vivid in my head and it always stuck with me growing up. And I didn't realize it until even just last year, I started to realize that was the beginning of, that was the starting of my abandonment issues, which also branched off into if people left me on read, if people didn't respond to me in time or didn't respond to me at all, I would feel abandoned by people. And that I realized that situation where I was left in the car was the precursor to all that type of behavior where I would be defensive or I would start being self-conscious about myself because nobody responded to me, not being aware of the fact that people had an outside life outside of responding to a message that I sent, anything like this, right? Mm. Um, so yeah, yeah, back to that other story. Yes, it was that situation. I was crying about to the world and I wanted everybody to fix it or wanted to hear my pain, but I was not, I was refusing to face it and to speak of it and to come to terms with it. So it was a very bad, like polarizing type of behavior where the world owed me and the world was subject. I was, I was entitled to express my pain as if the world would listen without actually talking about the one situation that was really, truly hurting me. Wow. Mm-hmm. That is deep. And that was a lot more than I ex- and even expected you to share, but oh, that's okay. Uh, wow, that's really uh, brave of you to share all that. And of course, it shows that you have done a whole lot of work to dig into your past. Because mm-hmm. as we started at the top of this conversation, we talked about how kids are have their you're at their formative years, mm-hmm. and those things happen to them and they stick with them. Mm-hmm. And so this was something that happened with you, and it stuck with you. And it seemed like, well, you weren't ever in a place that you could express your emotions healthy, mm-hmm. because you've had this incident that happened to you, but you had no support system, you had no one to tell about it, you had no one to talk about probably just even your regular life, because you said your uncles teased you. I mean, I, I think about this, and it sounds a lot like my family, mm-hmm. about the dynamics and how we interact with each other and how we don't really share anything with each other. We honestly don't share anything. We don't talk about anything that hurts us or helps us. Or we mostly talk about the weather. And that's that's pretty much it if we're going to make a conversation. And those things that are important to us, the expressions, the, like, um, the essence of who we are gets lost in the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And you know, we continue to try 
Well, I know I did a lot of things that you did. Continue to try to tell everybody like, well, everything's your fault and I'm not responsible for anything I do because you already messed up. (laughs) Essentially. So yeah, it took a whole lot to get through that that mindset, man. That's pretty impressive. I'm impressed with it. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's really great of you not to keep all that to yourself as well. Because I know that there's a lot of shame that comes with these kind of things. Like it's our fault. Like we've done something, but that's not true. No. Oh no, absolutely. And like, this is what I even told myself and I've realized because of my previous toxicity. And it's like, when it comes to like toxic behaviors, I didn't realize it's just not one toxic behavior. It's toxic patterns of behaviors. And I realized even part of that with when you would talk about that shame as if it's our fault, I told myself and I forgave myself. And when I speak of these stories, I always tell myself, I'm like, you know what? If people want to take it for what it is, that's on them. It has nothing to do with me. My self-worth isn't predicated off of what anybody tells me. My self-worth is predicated off of what I tell myself. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It's how you feel about yourself. Mm -hmm. Can you just say that one more time, please? My self-worth is not predicated off of the external world or what other people tell me. My self-worth is based off of what I tell myself and what I believe in myself. Yeah, that sounds like an affirmation. So I don't know if anybody wants to go back and listen to it again. <laughs> that sounds like an affirmation for yourself to to look within because it's absolute truth. As we were talking about here, there's so many different things that people try to change the outcome of their, well, how the world reacts to them, but they look outside to do it. They look to outside to change how the world, but if you look within and you recognize the toxic patterns of behavior or the helpful patterns of behavior, whatever patterns of behavior that you have and you tweak them and you pay attention to what's happening in your environment, then you can see that you are the one making changes, but you did everything for yourself first. Essentially that's what you did. You became a healthier person. You have better relationships now Mm -hmm. because you know how you behave in these relationships. So how are some of these relationships, how have they improved? Like, um, have you seen different friends come in? Do you talk to the people that are that were part of your past at all in any capacity since you've become healthier? Um, well, yeah, no, I do. Uh, we'll say that I, um, okay, so outside of a lot of my past friends, we'll say I don't talk to a high majority of them. There's still a single few who had seen more to me than just the dark side and the toxic side. They they could always, they used to always compliment me. They're like, you know, you're still a smart guy. Like things like this, like, you know, there's more to you than this bull, this crap that you're doing, you know? Um, And yeah, ever since then, like, I mean, especially the one person though, I have to really, really um, admire and like is my brother uh, because he was the one person that always stuck by me, always dealt with my, my toxicity and was there for me, helped me during the most darkest times, just helped me both financially and emotionally, despite I wasn't emotionally there and he still is. And it's just like our relationship is so much more stronger. Um, Because like I said, growing up, we didn't like each other. We were, you know, we were conflicting all the time. Um, Is he older than you? He's older than me. Yeah. So how how much older? Two, a few years or yeah, he's two years older than me. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So it sounds like he went through his own journey himself. He did, definitely not like mine though. Um, he had gotten married early, and um, he has a kid now. He's married, things like this. He was able to disconnect from the um, from the house that we came from. Um, uh, oh yeah, and another thing I wanted to add in here too. So with my mother, like I do love her, you know, obviously to death. Um, she just didn't have the most emotionally sound attitude or way. She, like she just didn't know how to love, we'll say, right? And it was unfortunate because mm-hmm. she, I was her clutch, and or sorry, I was her crutch, and I, I basically stuck around with that while my brother he was able to move on and disconnect, you know. And like she never remarried or she wasn't even even married, and all these things. So it like we had this very toxic attachment relationship growing up, right? With her. So, but my brother, he was able to disconnect and just be his own person. And he was the one who always 
was beside me, always stood up for me, always like, you know, growing up because he, he could see that our relationship wasn't the best. And I know deep down inside his heart, he knew that I was going to come to terms with who I was as a person. It was just a matter of time. And that's why I have to give a lot of props and love to my brother because now our relationship is so much stronger. We talk on a weekly basis and my cousins and a lot of my other family members now, my younger ones will say, they're starting to want to talk to me more because of the changes that I've made. Um, some of the old people that I had spoken to, the ones that, you know, saw more to me than just, you know, all the toxic stuff, they, I've reached out to them now and they're just like, wow, like you've just done a complete 180. We can tell that in your smile, in your eyes, you're just, you're, you're doing something right. That was, that was the main thing that stuck mm -hmm. out was when one of my friends was just like, yeah, we could tell you're doing something right, bro, which is good to see. So... That's remarkable. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people can feel when you become more healthy and they can feel that toxicity. We are in tune with people's emotions. Like you come around, we can get that sense. We have that instinct about us. So it definitely sounds like you've made your changes and people really, really feel them. And also, I just want to uh, say that your brother, it's really great that he was there to support you. It sounds like it's very that that situation sounds very familiar to me as far as um, having to be emotionally responsible for an adult. Mm -hmm. It's that's what you did when you were a crutch for your mom is to be emotionally responsible, kind of not be able to be yourself, which mm -hmm. is, is so difficult to get away from too, because that, that attachment is there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that, that change that you made to become a new person, it seems like you've changed the environment and, your brother, he did a really great job of, of helping you and recognizing it seems that you were going to have your own experiences. Like when I was drinking, nobody could tell me nothing. Nobody could tell me to put down the bottle. Come on. I'm I know what I know what I'm doing in my life. So even if there are people outside of me who saw potential in me, who wanted to help me, I would smack their hand away and be like, get out of here. I'm living. So it sounds like he had the right um kind of approach to you that really helped and work for you kind of like you're going to have your experiences but i'm here for you when you figure out what the experience is going to be like for you if you don't like it here's something else not pushing not telling he was there kind of like guidance which is pretty awesome like mm -hmm. yeah kudos to your bro oh yeah for sure yeah you know i have to always say like much love to him you know love him to death you know he was just that one person that was just there so and he was yeah. he was always telling me all these things too, you know. Especially when I was had this emotionally driven life, I remember just distinctly the things that he said. He's just like when I would have my emotional outbursts or any of this stuff, he always said he's just like, "Do you feel better?" And I've I used to, <laughs> and I used to get mad about it until yeah. now. And I've realized I'm like, yo, like my emotional outbursts and screaming and swearing and all this stuff, it never made me feel better at all. And him and I laugh about it now. He's just like, see. That didn't, right? <laughs> and he was like, I was trying to show you. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I know. I know. I had the, yeah. took me years, but I got it. <laughs> so. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's the whole thing. It's like you have your experience and you have to learn for yourself, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. And it, sometimes it just takes the people to ask you the right questions for you to think about it too. Yeah. Because he, he asked you that question, simple question, do you feel better? And you probably hadn't thought about it before. You're like, I'm gonna mess you, I'm gonna mess stuff up. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't feel better. <laughs> <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah. And it's like and it's unfortunate, you know, because like I see that a lot with other people, you know, with their emotional reactivity. And like I try and tell them the same things too, you know. It's just like, does it make you feel better ever? You know, when you go scream or you tell someone off or you know, you you know, it, it just, it never does. I, I've never gotten one response where somebody's just like, oh yeah, it has fixed my emotional issues or anything like that. It's always just like, no, nope, <laughs> never makes me feel any better. So. Yeah. So now I have to ask you about, you know, your interaction with clients and so forth. So when people may come to you and um, they say, well, I don't feel any better because of this. Is there something that you could recommend that they do? What would you tell your client if they if they had that emotional outburst? And instead of doing that, what could they do to feel better? I would ask them to go within themselves and ask them, like, where do you feel it? 
where does it where do you feel it in your body you know um in reference to how i used to respond to anger because i used to have a bad anger problem i used to always respond to the i never realized it until i became aware of it was how my body was first reacting to these situations not my head my body and i always like to ask people that clients you know um especially too not even mm-hmm. just clients but my friends too i always ask them i'm just like because i use my friends as guinea pigs you know um of course yeah I do too. yeah exactly so you know <laughs> the game right yeah you know the game right yes. yeah absolutely mm-hmm. so um yeah so anyway i do that i always say like where do you feel it in your body you know and i always use as an example for me with my anger i would always feel this kind of heat in my chest my shoulders would tense up and then my jaw especially would clench. And I realized too, um, when I can release my jaw, especially that's when I could start to see the, the, the emotion or I can observe the emotion, you know? And I used to always remember like if I, my jaws were clenched or if like I have all these thought patterns going on, which, you know, granted very seldomly now do I do. However, I'm more aware of it. When I release my jaw, I'm like, Oh, and I started to realize like my physical triggers that are associated to negative thought patterns or, or tension or anxiety or anger, anything like this, there's always this physical trigger. And usually it's for primarily for me, it's clenching my jaw. Um, Hmm. yeah. So, yeah, I I completely, I follow you with that too, because that's one of the things I I recognize when anger comes about me and sometimes it, it comes surprisingly, or I don't know why it's there, but I definitely feel that heat in the chest before I, you know, before I really became aware of where it's coming from. And now before I, so sometimes I find myself in the middle of a reaction, like, all right, the emotion's already been hit and I'm already doing something. And then the next time I'll find, all right, I feel the emotion. So let's not do the thing. And then now I feel the emotion, where did it come from? And then that's where you just kind of like you're saying, you just worked it and now you're aware of it. You're aware of what's happening. It used to be a real big, a thing in my chest, really hot. And yeah. I'm like, whoa, I don't know why it's happening. Mm-hmm. So you have much more emotional control over it. And so we talked about in the beginning about how you are looking, you you say that it's good to look inside yourself to, to know your own emotional triggers. So if you've seen that in other people, so like we, you can apply what you know about yourself and you look at other people and you say, oh, they might be feeling this way because I've noticed that. Mm-hmm. Are you able? Are you able to do that, or is that a thing oh, that that comes next? Like yeah. How like picking up on other people's emotions? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. And I've always well, I've noticed too. I've always been highly sensitive to other people's emotions. So I remember, like, especially if somebody would have an emotional outburst, I would get this crazy. I I get this crazy anxiety where it just becomes uncomfortable for me to be around. Um. Just mm-hmm. because, you know, and I'd always have to, I felt like during those times when I wasn't, uh, you know, when I wasn't on a self-awareness journey, I felt like I would have to accommodate for these people's feelings, things like this. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, because like, you know, they're... I just didn't like being around people who had an emotional outburst. So now I've become so much more aware that A, I don't have to respond and B, if a person is going through an emotional, you know, outburst or if they are feeling a certain emotion, um, I'm aware of it and I'm usually like, okay, I'm observing it and I'm not judging it, you know, and I'm just observing Mm -hmm. it. And I just, I kind of go from there, you know, it's just like, oh, okay. I noticed like, you know, I noticed that your tone went up a little more or your arms are closed off, you know, things like this. So are those, are those things that you say to people? I can. Yeah. Especially if there are friends of mine and if I'm saying something or like, for instance, let's use this as an example. If I'm talking about something and then all of a sudden they, they, they lose eye contact with me or they start closing their arms like this, things like this. I, mm-hmm. I, I notice these things, you know, and I'm just like, Oh, Absolutely. you know, and I'm just like, Oh, okay. I noticed that, you know, you're a little closed off now. Was it, you know, was it something that I said? Like, you know, things like this. I'll, I'll always try and instead of trying to accommodate them, I just try and understand as to, Oh, what happened kind of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, I really like what you're saying because those are things I do. So of course I would like that. <laughs> yeah. But I'm I, I'm I subscribe to it a whole lot because it does a couple of things. It it kind of lets you know where you're coming from as far as one actually understanding the whole situation. Mm-hmm. It's like um if you were not to point out these physical actions that have happened and you and you'd say something instead like 
You keep it in your head, you notice or feel something has changed. You keep it in your head, you don't say anything. And then instead of pointing out those things, you'd say, well, are you mad at me? Mm-hmm. And then like, people were like, why? Why would I be mad at you? And then you'd have to go through the whole process. But if you could go ahead and point out what you saw, what you noticed, mm-hmm. and they, they can't refute, like, like, well, I didn't do, I noticed that you just did this. So is there something that you're feeling? I, I'm feeling this way. Just to kind of understand and not throw assumption out there because mm-hmm. it's really easy for people to be defensive, especially if they're not paying attention to their own interactions or they're not aware of what they're doing. Absolutely. So, yeah, I imagine that that's part of your coaching style. So hmm. you're coaching. So you said that you're a mindset coach. And so how do you, how do you coach with people with a mindset? Well, I mean, I wouldn't say, I mean, I know that there's mindset coaches. However, I want to be more so towards uh, self-awareness coaching. Um, mm-hmm. And I've, I mean, the way I like to go about it and how I'm actually start um, my website and my blog is, is mental health through self-awareness. So I want to be that coach where if a person were to want to become more self-aware and understand themselves more, I would like to be that coach for them. You know, I'm not a therapist, nor am I a counselor. You know, if somebody has some, like, for instance, the one strict rule that I go by is, um, I'm not here to fix anybody. You know, I don't want, I don't want clients who think that I'm just going to wave some magical wand at them and fix them. If I, you know, if I'm assessing somebody and they, they have that kind of a, attitude i don't take them as a client because mm-hmm. i don't want to have somebody dependent on me and that's not my prerogative my prerogative in the long term is to cre- create fans not clients um because yeah. i feel like when you can give a person the necessary tools for them to become more self-aware about their human experience they can self-regulate on their own and they can do it on their own and that's what my, my prerogative is with my blogging and my website is I'm going to basically show people things that I've been through and, um, you know, my self-awareness journey, everything like that. And, you know, if people want personal one-on-one coaching, then yeah, you know, I'm up for it, you know, just as long as they're in the right mindset, mindset themselves. Um, however, for me, like the way I go about coaching is like, I want to be that conduit for change, a conduit of change for them with the tools that have been provided for me that I could provide for them so then they can self-regulate and become more aware of their own experiences and their own emotions and their own uh, triggers and things like this. Yeah, that makes sense. And of course, um, one thing that I grabbed onto when you were talking about the, the mindset of a person who comes to see you, if they want you to fix them, then of course you wouldn't want to take them as a client because you know that's not possible. Yeah. You you talked about how it's not possible for an outside force to change change you as a person. Mm-hmm. It all comes from within. Mm-hmm. So you're basically a person who has the uh, awareness of how the world works a little more, mm-hmm. and you're sharing that with other people. So it's up to them to pick it up and apply it. Mm-hmm. And that's what you want to do. Yes, I wanna. I want them to utilize the same tools that I use for myself in order for them to be more self-aware about themselves, for them to be more self-aware about the world. So that sounds really, really great because, you know, there, um, I was going to say there are a lot of benefits to being self-aware, mm-hmm. but uh, maybe you can share a couple with us. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, uh, for instance, my daily ritual that I do is I have these, I I meditate five to six times a day, depends on if I actually have my yoga class. Um, However, these meditations are short, they're about 10 to 20 minutes. Um, So the three main meditations, though, the different types of meditations that I do is um, they are sensory meditations. So for instance, my one meditation that I do when I wake up right in the morning um, is I stand in the same place and I build my spatial connection. So I stand completely straight and I align my body. I make sure my tailbone is tucked in, my shoulders are back, my neck is straight and there's no, you know, there's no slouching or anything. And what I do is I look in front of me a few feet in front um, and I don't focus on anything. I just relax my eyes. So then my vision kind of picks up on everything. It's, it notices everything, but it's not focusing on anything. Um, and I meditate in that sense. I just, I, I, I stand there for like 10 to 15 minutes and I challenge myself now because I'm, I'm 
I've been doing it for the last few months now. I challenge myself to not blink for 15 minutes, which is, it can, it, it can happen, you know, it works because I've realized it's, <laughs> it's kind of hard. However, it, it, it happened. I'm like 15 minutes, man, <laughs> I never want to face even a staring contest. <laughs> Well, and it's interesting because I never thought I could do it. However, I realized when I notice, so the whole prerogative of this meditation is I'm focusing on the muscles that are engaging on keeping me still and balanced. And when you start to focus on that, you start to notice like the smaller little muscles, like this toe is activating, this your heel, now you're seeing that your your, your calf is activating and you start to notice that. And then I realized, I'm just like, I just forget to blink. And I'm like, oh. You know, and it's, mm-hmm. and it's, so then I'm building that spatial connection because I keep my feet within vision. So I'm building this spatial connection between my body and what I am perceiving in my space around me. So that's my first meditation that I do in the morning. Um, a second meditation that I do usually before I go to the gym is my visual meditation where I sit on a, I'll, and I live, gratefully, I live right near the ocean. So I go sit near the ocean at a, on, on a, on a bench and I have my sunglasses on. Um, and what I do is I sit there and I flood my visual awareness and I plug my ears with uh, meditation music. Um, so then I, to- I tell myself, so I've completely cut my auditory sense and I tell myself, this doesn't matter. Your auditory doesn't matter. It's my visual that I'm focusing on and my kinesthetic. So what I do is I flood my visual awareness and I, I, again, I gaze out into the ocean. I'm not focusing on anything. However, I'm picking up on all small things that are happening with my visual awareness. People walking around, the wind blowing the trees, birds, everything, cars, even behind me just passing by. And I tell myself, I don't focus on anything. I just notice all the small things that are happening around me. And I do that for about 10 to 15 minutes, you know, just building that connection visually as well with my kinesthetic. And then my last meditation that I do at night before I go to sleep is I make sure it's a very, which gratefully, again, I live on a quiet street and I live with senior citizens. So that's even better. Nobody parties here. So I go to sleep and I, um, I lay down with my arms out just so then I don't have any, um, how do I say it? Energy, um, misconstruction when I'm doing this exercise. So I spread my arms out and what I do is I close my eyes and I focus on the sounds that go on within my body. And I focus on the sounds and my kinesthetic. So instead of labeling where these sounds are coming from, all I do is I build that auditory to kinesthetic connection. And I just allow myself to be aware of the sounds that are going on within my body and how it feels without saying anything in my head. And yeah, those are... Those are the main self-awareness exercises that I do that have honestly helped me like phenomenally just be more aware of things. I'm aware of like people's emotions or how they act. I'm aware of my surroundings. If I notice something, I'm just a lot more self-aware and especially I'm much more self-aware as to how I can come across or how certain things could have sounded to other people. I'm more aware of when I'm in a negative thought pattern. I'm more aware of when I allow emotion to get the better of me, things like this. So, Yeah. So basically you look at yourself as a book mm-hmm. and you start studying these chapters like, like this is uh, auditory. Well, I'm going to cut that off right now because I'm, I'm focusing on visual. Mm-hmm. So I know that's there, but I'm going to just focus on chapter two right now. Mm-hmm. Essentially, that's what it sounds like meditation does for you. And it, of course, mm-hmm. I mean, you're going to master the entire book of yourself if you do that. Yeah. Like if you really know, it, you're going to know it up and down, backwards, mm-hmm. forwards, and probably translate it in different languages for other people to read. Oh, yeah. Now look at me going on with these metaphors. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. Right. Yeah, exactly. So understanding the chapters of who we are as a person. Right. And that's what my true belief is, is when we can do that, when we can learn to be the masters of our own chapters, we don't have to master the world because we're going to see everything. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We're going to be, well, not everything. However, we're going to be more, the more we understand ourselves, the more the world will be understood to us is my belief. Yeah. So. Yeah. That, that rocks. And I think we could leave it right there because that is a really great way to end the segment. All right. Um, Alex, where can people find you? Because I'm sure people are going to want to find you. Absolutely, yeah. So uh, people could find me at my website, which is supernovacoaching.com. 
www.wordpress.com, which is my blogging website. Um, they could also look for me f- at my, um, my, my social media handle, which my Instagram, my coaching Instagram is supernova.coaching. All right. Yeah. And uh, do you do any live or anything like that? Do you go live sometimes? Uh, I have before. I have, I'm have. i not going to focus on it yet until I get more demand from it. Like I said, with my blogging, you know, I'm starting my blogging. So once I get more engagement, more feedback, things like this, I'm going to go about it that way. That's how I'm, that's how I'm going to start writing more content and how I want to go about lives and addressing certain people is when they start asking like, hey, can you talk about this or what can I do with this and things like that. So. Okay. Yeah. Looking for feedback or looking for what your audience needs, right? How can you serve them yes. first before just putting stuff out there? Exactly. Which is really awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, Alex, it was really great to talk to you and I'm sure there are many things that we could talk about oh, yeah. in the future. So I hope to have to you know, talk to you again. We'll talk again. I would love that. So no, thank you very much, Lee. And thank you, everybody. I appreciate everybody sharing their energy with me and letting me share mine with you. All right. Take care, Alex. Thank you. Take care. See you. Thanks, Alex, for sharing your story with us. Really appreciate that. It really takes a lot of courage to leave everything you know behind to start new. Again, I really like this exercise that you left for us. It is all about focusing on one important part of you and really getting familiar with that. It's kind of like mastering the basics before you get to master the whole art. My name's Lee Hopkins, my pronouns are he, him, his, and you have been listening to the Patterns of Possibility podcast. If you like what you're hearing, like, subscribe, and share. Follow me on Instagram at Patterns of Possibility. I go live Thursdays at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time, and you can find me at Patterns of Possibility on YouTube, LinkedIn, and other social medias. All right, until next time, take care.